1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 25, the Apostle Paul says, But the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen you, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. That no flesh should glory in his presence. As I said, the title of this evening is Science on Ten Bible Proofs. We're going to be looking at this now. I'm not a scientist by any means. And maybe a scientist could come and tie me in knots, as it were. But what I'm showing you is my faith, our faith in the word of God being infallible and showing 10 proofs that God has already told us of that scientists are only catching up on and proving the Bible, God's word to be true. One definition of uh, Bible proof and biblical truth is uh, told to us, has been shown and proven to us through what we would call the national and the historic interpretation of prophecy. There are different interpretations of prophecy. There's the futurist interpretation of prophecy, but unfortunately, they tend to throw things away into the future, so they're uncertain. There's a preterist interpretation of prophecy that says Jesus has already came back again in a certain form when the temple was destroyed in AD 70 which to me is just a nonsense. I don't mean to offend anyone that believes that, but it's just a nonsense. And prophecy has been labeled like this by some from the historist interpretation. Historist interpretation is that you look at history, it doesn't give us, uh, the word of God is not a crystal ball, but gives us signs that we are to expect and look for. So we don't know how or when things will happen. But it gives us an idea. So when it happens, we match it with the word of God and see how God's word has become true. So this is how it's been termed. Prophecy is history foretold. In other words, when a prophetic word is given by God in the scriptures, it has to come to pass. So it's already going to be history. As far as God's concerned, it's happened and it is history. That's how sure the word is. So prophecy is history foretold. And history becomes prophecy fulfilled. When it happens, we see it, and we see how prophecy is fulfilling history. And history is showing the authenticity of prophecy. Does that make sense? You can catch with me. Okay. One other term is prophecy proves the Bible to be true. Now, the Bible's truth whether we read prophecy or not. But the sense of it is, is that when we see it come to pass, we realize that 
the, the authenticity and the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. And we realize that it's these scriptures that guide us on our, on our way, that show us the path we're on. It's the same scriptures that tells us we must trust in Jesus for our personal salvation. That's how real it is. It's the same scriptures that tell us only by the blood of the Lamb can we be forgiven and cleansed. So that's how sure that is. So when we read prophecy and it comes to pass, you see, well, if the Bible is so true, or since the Bible is so true and so accurately real, then what we what we, we, we want to see is that then the other things are real too. Everything else uh, will hinge on how, how we believe the Scriptures. The Scriptures are true. The Word of God is forever settled in heaven. And the Word of God will not pass away. But the difference is man's thinking changes. Woman's thinking changes. So whenever you're looking at prophecy, but what we're going to look at tonight isn't prophecy. Uh, uh, we're going to pick out 10 Bible proofs of many. Just 10 because you couldn't go through them all. It would take a long time. But these 10 Bible proofs, I'm looking at towards science and medical science, even what it believes, creation, um, the elements, and we're going to look at human, humanity, as in uh, our bodies, or medically speaking. Just a wee points here and there to show you throughout the scriptures. So these 10 Bible proofs are not prophetic words, but they are the, a, a permanently perfected performance of the creative work of God. In other words, they've already been established. They've already been in our, life, our lifetime. They've already been here from man has been created on the earth before that. So they've already been here. It's not like we're looking for them to come. We can see it now today. And we could have, if we would read by faith through the anointed eyes of the Spirit, you'd see it. And many people didn't. So we're going to look at that tonight. Science tries to disprove the Word of God. And science tries to disparage the Word of God. The word disparage simply means that it tries to make it lower in an estimation than you think it is. So when you and I say the Word of God is absolute truth, people then come to to become more modernistic in their view, and they say, well, the Bible contains the Word of God. The Bible does contain the Word of God, but the Bible is more than that. The Bible is the Word of God. Everything in this book is from him, inspired. It just isn't containing it where there's a, a piece here where God says and the rest is what man thinks. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it. So modernists would say, well, it's only certain parts that we can say, well, God said this, so the Apostle Paul or Peter or James or even one of the prophets are then speaking of a story, they go to a town. Sure, that's not the word of God. But what you have to see is the, the very God in every single sentence and in every single footstep. Every shipwreck, every lash of, of, of the whip. It's the word of God. It's what happened and where God was when he's leading and bringing and directing his people. Everything, every jot and every tittle, as the Lord Jesus would mention, or every comma, stroke of the T, dot of the I, and pause. It's all from him. And that's why we'd say, in every single verse, look for Christ. Every single verse, look for him. 
So it tries to disparage, it makes it seem lower in your estimation. So when you hear of science today, and our children are taught science in school, or you hear, see some pointy-headed uh, man who comes out from a theological, or a, sorry, a, a scientific college or whatever, some professor saying, well, the, uh, the, the world uh, wasn't created by God, there was a, these big bang and so on and all these things. You know, sometimes Christians, they, they start to feel their faith shrink because that man's mind's greater than mine. And they disparage, they make light and lesser of the word than what it is in your heart beforehand. And they try and make it come to a nothing. So that's what science does. And science also tries to disgrace the word of God. It tries to disprove the word. It tries to disparage the word. And it tries to disgrace the word. In other words, it tries to show you that there are parts of the word of God which are contradictory one to another. But really, when you interpret scripture with scripture, there's nowhere in the scripture will contradict itself. So what happens is it brings you down in your faith. And the scientific mind is so intelligent in man's level. It makes you feel inferior. So what if this is wrong and this man is right? You see, it's impossible for any man, any scientist, to disprove, disparage, or disgrace the word of God. They may try to. They may disbelieve it, and they may try and run it down. But it's impossible because this word will be here when they're gone. And this word will still stand when there's fails and they realize they have to correct their ideologies. Which they've had to do many, 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 many times. Many times. Just talking a week or two ago to Philip and we were talking about the, uh, there was meant to be a, a, was it a bone of a person? Was it a woman or a man? Philip, that bone. It found, I can't remember myself now. We were talking about it and how it was meant to be hundreds of thousands or whatever it was, years old. And that was a bone of a pig. Isn't that right? A tooth. It was a tooth of a pig. Thank you. It was a pig's tooth. It wasn't even a human bone. It wasn't even a pig bone, actually. So you can see here where they try and put things forward and theses out and they teach it in schools and colleges and so they indoctrinate everybody to believe the same thing and once they're indoctrinated trying to get faith into someone like that in fact there's uh, there's a high percentage of christians who go to colleges secular colleges and come out atheists do you know why because they uh, they disparage and make less of the word of god they try to disgrace it showing it not to be true and they twist it and they turn it and they say but look at what science proves but really, science is only a way of finding out too. Science isn't actually a foundational, fundamental thing. A science is, is really something that they're still trying to find out themselves. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I believe the word of God over all men's thinking. So 1 Corinthians 25, look at what Paul says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. You might say, what has that got to do with science? Well, it's got to do with everything, really. It's got to do with how men think. How mankind thinks. And and notice what he says here. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. I mean, Paul, are you telling us that God is foolish at some parts? For the word here for foolish is the word moros. 
Where we get our word moron from? What are you saying, Paul? And God in some areas is moronic. What are you saying? Paul's not saying that at all. I'll tell you, I'll show you what he is saying. He's actually taking a likeness to things and resembling one against the other. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. In other words, what Paul is showing us here, he's saying, look, there is no foolishness of God. It's what they think God to be as foolish. The the idea of this scripture was actually pointing back to the cross, to Christ then on the cross for our salvation and redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. What A man who dies on a cross and sheds his blood, that's redemption. Paul's saying, yeah, that's moronic. That's their thinking, that God's way was moronic. And that's, that's foolishness. That's what they're saying. You know, who could believe that? Because our minds are intelligent. We're doctors of philosophy and theology. And we know all these Old Testament scriptures. We, we do cross the T's and dot the I's. But Paul was saying, look, you're thinking that's foolish. He says, yeah, that's the wisdom of God to save them that believe. It's the wisdom of God to use this method for the simplicity of the gospel that is in Christ. It's this simplicity of believing God. It's so simple. Christ died for us. Christ died for me. Shed his blood for me. I believe it. That settles it. I'm saved. And so he's showing us the simplicity of it. Not that God is foolish at any time. He says, but even this foolishness that you think of, he says to men, even the foolishness that, God look, uh, that men looked at toward God and toward what you and I believe, that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that, that we're foolish in believing that. Well, Paul's telling you and he's telling me tonight, there are men with all these degrees, like the alphabet right behind them, all these letters behind their name. He says, but you know, whenever they think they're wise, they're the ones who have become fools. Because they can't receive Christ. But really, you are the ones who are blessed. And don't let these men pull you down in faith. These women pull you down in faith. For the foolishness of God is wiser. See the, 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 the word wiser here? It's the word sophos. And that's where we get, it's a real word from where we get our English word sophisticated. Now we know sophisticated, we think someone with their nose in the air, you know, and their, their fur coat over their, over their back walking and with 12 inch high heels on thinking, oh, I'm so great and wonderful. That's not the idea of it here. Sophistication is, is the integral parts of, of a, of, of a mind that really, it goes beyond comprehension. Sophisticated is, here's something that, uh, that men in their minds think, well, we're so intelligent, we're so sophisticated, those little human beings can't, they can't understand, let's just feed them what we think. But really what he's saying is, if you could search the mind of God, that, that man, that sophisticated one, has no sophistication whatsoever. God has the real, as it were, the sophistication, the, the complex mind of his that we can't comprehend unless his spirit shows it. So the, the foolishness of God is even more sophisticated than, than anything man has. That's what he's saying. So when we look at the cross, you're always keeping the cross here in mind and that's what Paul's telling us. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. But God's all powerful and 
How could he be weak? The idea of the weakness here again looks to the cross. Now remember, we are looking at, we're going to look at science on, on these 10 proofs, but we have to look at weakness and strength, what God says and thinks and what man says and thinks. So here, whenever he's looking at the weakness here, it's the word astanstis. And it simply does mean weak. It means infirm. And it can mean feeble. When was God weak, infirm or feeble? Again, it's looking at uh, at what point was God at his weakest. There was one point that Paul's speaking of. The reference that is compared with God was at his most foolish, as it were, and very weakest at the cross when he took on frail humanity. So God in himself is not foolish and he's not weak. And the only time man, or I should say Satan, could, dis- could attack Almighty God is when God's heel, as it were, were on the ground. Genesis 3.15 tells us, that he would strike the Lord's heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. So how did Satan strike at God? He couldn't. So he thought he'd done it in Christ. When they nailed him to the tree. He couldn't. So he thought, now's my chance. And he got the Son of God, moved on these men to nail him to the tree. But here's the thing, that wasn't foolishness. And that wasn't weakness. No, they didn't realize that was God and food, might, and power and strength. But it's how they thought. But God was way beyond them. So his, if you want, his foolish wisdom in man's eyes was displayed on the cross. But now, as Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 15, it is displayed and his sovereign will, and his electing sovereign grace, his choice of the foolish things, of weak things, and base things. Let's look just at the reading before we go further. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, for you see, you're calling, brethren, look, that how not many ways after the flesh. Notice after the flesh, we are in the Spirit, brothers and sisters. We are called by the Spirit, through the Spirit. Not many after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the ways. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. In other words, Paul was saying, do you see those who you hear testimonies about? Lives that are ruined, lives that are destroyed, people with addictions, broken lives or you know, everything that you can name, and also men and women who are just, in human terms, they're not big wig scientists or whatever. Just the plain five-eighths, as we would say. The man and the woman who, who walk the town centers and get on with their life. He says, God hath chosen them because he's going to confound these people. 
So in other words, you're chosen by God to do something great. And what you have of God, God has called you, God has chosen you, but also God has placed in you. It's called imputed faith. He gave you the faith to believe. God at some point in time placed a new faith to believe that why that you would see these things and now you see the plan and purpose of God in Calvary but now you believe the word of God for what it says and these scientists are trying to work out well how was the earth formed and created and you say by faith I'll tell you, let me show you Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth there you are ah it can't be right and they search high and low, and they try so much uh, to to dispel it and to prove otherwise. Yet the more they look into their uh, so-called Big Bang Theory and away from the intelligent design, the more they look into it, the more they realize they fall into more problems. They're chasing their own tail. And so to uh, try and strengthen their hand, they they go on shows and uh, they say, well, I'm a professor so-and-so, and I'm doctor so-and-so, and I'm going to show you how the earth was formed billions and billions and billions, or, or how the space was formed billions, 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 billions of years ago, whatever. How Korea, how this all came to be, this is what happened. And something was made out of nothing, and nothing became something, so there's a big explosion, everything came out of that. They can't, um, uh, when, it, when you draw it right back, they can't take you so far back as to say, well, where did the matter come from that they needed to start with? They get stomped at it. But really, because God has chosen the weak and the foolish and the base things that are despised and so on, like you and I, he, he turns around and, and he places his faith in us to believe him for what he says. And we look and say, let me show you, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, in a sense, not humanly speaking, but spiritually speaking, you're far more advanced than all the scientists that sit in their universities. Don't let this bring your faith down, what you see around you, and what you hear, and what these scientists are saying. These men are guessing. That's just a guess. The earth became into being uh, so many hundreds of billions of years old. I feel like saying, wise up. Catch yourself on, man. How do you know that? How can you prove that? And you know, when we get here, God willing tonight, we get here and we even see one of the things that they used to believe that now has changed. And agreeingly, and some of these things are, are a lot of years old, some are lesser. But you're going to look at it and you're going to say, look at the distance it is from here to the moon of the sun. Man hasn't even reached Mars yet. And they're trying to tell you hundreds of millions of billions of trillions of galaxies of light years away in a far, far off distant planet somewhere, X, Y, and Z, it came out of nothing and it started here, I think. Teaching our kids this, university students. Now, I'm not one to 
teach a lot on creation account because that's not, if I can put it in brackets and excuse the term, not my forte. I'm a big prophecy student. Love it. And I would argue a black crow is white. If I knew there was white under the black fellas, I'd make sure I would argue that black crow was white. In fact, I would argue the black crow white. If I knew it was right, if I believe with all my heart, with passion, this is right, I would do that with prophecy. But I, I can't, I'm not schooled enough, in, and I'm just being honest, in the whole creation and what it proves, so I don't get into arguments about it. But I believe in intelligent design. I believe all things were made by God. And we're going to look at how God has given us the faith also to believe these things. And it's so simple when you read it. And you're going to go, what's the big deal there? Scientists can't believe this, nor prove it. The wise and the mighty, the wise and the mighty, hawkings and the dockings of this world, the scientists, the astronomers, the fantastic minds of men, matter, maths and mysteries, are only acknowledging the word of God. That's all they're doing. They're saying they're not. They're trying to disprove and disparage it. But what they're really doing is they're proving God to be true, if you really look at it. They're proving the word of God and the Bible to be true. And as I said, they're just catching up with what God has shown us when we were converted. You know, the Hawkins debate and the God delusion books. These men are intelligent. We have to give them that. They've got wonderful minds. But they're blinded by their own minds. They're spiritually dead. A few years ago I was on a plane and I seen this. What it looked like. I don't know what an intelligent person looks like. But you know what I mean when I say that. He was a young man. He seemed intelligent. There were three seats. And he was sitting at the window. I was sitting at the, 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 the lane. Uh, or the aisle. The seat at the aisle. And Alison and the girls were sitting on the other side. And there's one seat empty. And I thought he was with someone. They were just coming. So the plane takes off. And we're flying across from Tenerife. And he pulls out this big book. And I looked at it. And it was The God Delusion. He's sitting reading it. And I know daring off the say something. <laughs> How did I get a conversation with this man? I had a book out from a, boss, a, a Baptist, uh, a big Baptist conference speaker. And it was, evangelists are not today as pop stars or something like that. It was, you know, about keeping the gospel real. So I pulled it out and I thought, I'll show my book. So I pulled it out and I started reading it. <clears throat> Coughed a few times and sat it down beside, between us in the empty seat. There was no one there, the whole, the whole flight. I believe it was just, I was meant to be there for me to stand out there. And he, he never picked up on it. So I lifted it up again and rustled the papers of it. <clears throat> Set it down again. He wasn't biting. And we're starting to come into land and they're saying, we're going to be landing now. This is four hours later. And I was like this. I, so I just said to him, can I ask you a question? He says, Sure. He says, have you read that book? He says, twice. I says, is it good? He says, brilliant. I says, do you really believe that? He says, I think so. Why? I do. Aye. It's a great book. I says, have you ever read the Bible? Uh, no. 
I says, you know what the Bible says? He says, I know it's quoted, it's quoted, I know it. I says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He says, yes. I happen to have in my luggage in the hole, in the hole, the hole of the plane, another book I'd read. And it was by a, a man who was an atheist, who read the book, who, who, who I'd read the Bible, trying to disprove it. And he was, he, he was an investigative journalist. And... Uh, I'm just trying to remember the name of the book. But he, he had written this book. He gets saved reading the Bible. And now he goes around showing that God is real. And that's now his ministry. And I knew this will speak to this man. I said, I have a book that will maybe tell you something different than that. Would you read it? He says, I will. I says, do you promise? He says, I promise you I read it. And I says, well, haven't it all met? It's in the plane. He says, well, I'm in a wee bit of a hurry. I said, see if I see you at the carousel for the baggies downstairs and I give, get it to you in time. If my, bag, my book or my bag comes out before yours and I get it out and over to you in time, do you promise me you'll take it and read it? He says, I promise you. He says, you're on. He says, if you don't get me now, he says, I'm gone. So I was praying, Lord, bring this bag around. Bring this bag around. Bring this bag around. And lo and behold, did my bag come out first? And I got the book out. And I scrambled for a pen and wrote, just wrote simply Psalm 14, verse 1. Just on the flyleaf of it, and I went over. And he was just about to walk away. I got his bag, and I says, there's that book. And he took it from me, and he says, I promise you I'll read that. I promise you I'll read that. Psalm 14, and verse 1 says, The food that said in his heart, there is no God. This, he was a, a really nice, decent young man, but he was blinded by his own mind and what he was told. The case for Christ is called the book. A case for Christ. Because he used to write a case against Christ. So, whenever Paul tells us about these fantastic these men with fantastic minds, it's weaker and more foolish than God is. <clears throat> Excuse me. God's way ahead of them. There was a woman called Lady Huntington. And she was a friend of George Whitfield and John Wesley, around that sort of time. And she was a very influential woman. As you can guess, um, she had quite a few, uh, a few pounds, as we would say. She was, she was uh, of more noble stroke aristocracy, if you want. And Lady Huntington, when she was dying, says, <clears throat> I am getting into heaven by the letter M, as in M, Mary, M and M's, sweeties, you know, M. And when she was asked by them, how are you getting in by the letter M, she took them to this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 25. Or sorry, first Corinthians, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse, pardon me. Chapter 26, sorry. For see your calling, brethren, are that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. She says, I'm getting into heaven by the letter M. It doesn't say not any. It says not many. The M on the end of any 
made the difference for her. So aristocracy and uh, uh, rich people or intelligent people can be saved. We're not saying that. And Lady Huntington rested totally on Christ. And she said she was glad that little letter M was in there or else she'd have been lost because of foolishness of men. Let's look at some of these Bible proofs. They're all short. Well, most of them are short anyhow. Must fire a few shots over for you. First one we're looking at is the Bible told us that the earth is a sphere, like a ball. It's a sphere. Isaiah chapter 40, please. Isaiah chapter 40. And just let your eye just run down. We'll pick a verse or two and I'll show you this. Verse 21 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the world? Now notice when this is coming from. From the beginning, from the foundations of the world. Do you not know this? Does my spirit not already spoken this? Verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Notice that. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, and stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Scientists think they're big, thinking that the earth has been stretched and stretched from nothing. God spoke it out and just stretched it. (laughs) When God spoke it, he just stretched it. And he says, I am the one who sits on the circle of the earth. Let me show you something else. Go to Proverbs chapter 8, please. Proverbs chapter 8. Now, when we're reading Proverbs chapter 8, must be careful a little here. Because you could read, read it when you go home. It's a fantastic chapter. And a lot of people think, well, this is speaking of the Lord Jesus pre-Bethlehem, as in, uh, this is God's son. But, but really, this is wisdom speaking of. And they're saying this is a, a Proverbs chapter that speaks of wisdom. Now, obviously, Christ was the word from eternity. So I'm not saying anything opposite to that. But let's be careful, because sometimes wisdom is actually shown forth in a, in a feminine uh, neuter. So it can't be at times, okay? So we're talking about wisdom, like you have wisdom within yourself. Say someone says, you're very wise. You're a wise old owl, as we'd say. You know, it's within you. It's part of you. So we, uh, we need to be careful, because there are a debate around this chapter too. But nevertheless, that's just by the way. Chapter 8 and verse 27. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth. Notice that, a compass upon the face of the depth. The idea here is that the word compass and the word circle in Isaiah 40 and verse 22 are the exact same Hebrew word. It gives the idea of a, of a sphere. Something not just circular, but a sphere. 
And it goes even further in whenever we look at one of our, ne- one of our uh, other points that we're going to make. Because the next one will fit alongside of this. It's not just a circle as you would draw a flat circle, like a coin or a disc. That means a sphere. So point one, the earth was a sphere, and the, that was told us away from the beginning, but Isaiah notes it. Proverbs chapter 8 tells us it. So the earth was a sphere, and it's only up to recent years. Do you know even, and this sounds actually ridiculous and ludicrous now, but in 2004, there was a new society. Well, it's not a new society. It's an old society revamped, and it's called the Flat Earth Society. Has anybody heard of the Flat Earth Society? And they still believe the earth is flat. I'm not joking. 2004, they started a new website up called the Flat Earth Society. And if people join them and they think it's just one big disc, the earth is one big disc. And that's even in modern times. And these are meant to be intelligent people. But nevertheless, the Bible's told us, we have in our faith in our hearts, that Isaiah says, hey, hold on. It's a circle. What shapes the earth? It's a circle. So that is the second one is, what is the earth? Uh, how is it hung up in space? What keeps us up? The Bible tells us, secondly, that the earth is free-floating. It's free-floating, okay? Job chapter 26. Job chapter 26. And again, just let your eye run down. To verse 7. He stretches out the north over the empty place. Now let me stop there. See the term empty place? It's exactly the same word, tohu. And it's the same word was where the spirit of the Lord brooded over the face of the deep. Okay? In fact, no, let me rephrase that. It isn't, it's the same word where it says the earth was moved out, former void, and then the spirit brooded over the face. It's the word for former void. Okay? It's the exact same term here. So he spreadeth out the north over the empty place, notice, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. He hangeth the earth upon nothing. Again, science proves the Bible true. Again, over other people's religions and over other mysteries and faiths, over ideologies and over other philosophies. Let me tell you what people, some people, there's many other things what some people used to believe held up the earth. Uh, the Native American Indians and uh, others, uh, not only them, but some others, believed that the earth was in the center and held up by a big giant tree. I don't know what held up the big giant tree, but they believed it was held up by a big giant tree. Some of the Eastern religions believed that the earth was held up by an elephant who stood on a giant turtle's back. (laughs) Poor turtle. But that's what they believed. Who held the turtle up? I do not know. It's, It's ridiculous. But this is where faiths are taking them. A Greek, sort of North African. Uh, mythology, if you want, and their ideology believed in 
a, a, a titan, as in a, a sort of a, a half-god-man person who held up the earth called Atlas. That's why you get a map and it's called an Atlas. And you'll see statues everywhere where a man with a big, with the globe on his shoulder. You see some, uh, as it used to be one of the competitions, was like the strongman competition or something like that. The globe on his shoulder, maybe across the back of his neck in some statues. And that's why he called Atlas, that's Atlas, the, the demigod, as they would have called him. And they believed he held it up. Now, where he came from and who held him up, we're not sure. No one knows. So, some believe, uh, there's different things to believe in. Hebrews chapter 1, please, and verse 3. Hebrews 1 and verse 3. This is speaking of Christ. Who being the brightness of his, that is the Father's glory, and the express image of his, that is the Father's person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Notice that he upholds all things by the word of his power. In fact, it gives the idea, uh, you go to John chapter 1 and verse 3. Um, by him were all things made, and without him was not anything made that was made. And verse 14 says, and the word was made flesh. This is the Lord Jesus before Bethlehem. The word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we're told by him that he is the creative agent of God. By him. So upholding all things by the word of his power. When he hath purged himself, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So here we see him now in flesh, dying for our sin, ascended, risen and ascended and glorified, sitting at the right hand of God. So, you see, he upholds all things, all things, by just speaking it. By just speaking it. There's no giant turtles or elephants or trees or atlases. Just the Spirit of God and his word. And you know, that's all you and I need, the Spirit of God and his word. That's all we need. Okay, thirdly, third proof. The Bible tells us that every star that you can see in the skies are different one from another. Yet science always believed, right up to recent years, that they were the same. That they were the same. 1 Corinthians 15. This is to do with the resurrection of the dead in Christ. That's you and I, should, we, should the Lord tarry and we pass this scene. And how we'll be different even in the resurrection. Everyone thinks it's all going to be the same. It's not. It's not. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 41. For there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. The Bible says the stars are different. 
And he likens it to the resurrection, but we'll not go down. That's another teaching for another time. And he like, Paul likens it here. He says, one star is different than the other. You think they're all twinkling lights. In fact, you know, they used to believe there was a big uh, curtain in the sky with pinholes and a light behind it. Like punctured holes in it. And we live behind a big black curtain. Some of the stuff that people believe were, were crazy, really. So notice this. Each star is different, yet science has now found this to be true. Sanding out the Hubble and other things, they see the glories of them. They see the, the, the majesty of them. And some of the, 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 the photos that are sent back are they're beautiful. I mean, I mean thank, thank, thank goodness that these men have a brain to do that, to show us these wonderful things too. But we're talking here what they're teaching us to bring down the word of God and, and to decrease the spirit in us and our faith in Christ. So they are different and that's shown us forcefully moving quickly. It was thought up to not so many years ago as well that light was static. That light came and went. It stayed where it was and then went again. It was static. Okay. But the Bible tells us that light moves. The Bible tells us that light moves. Job chapter 38. No wonderful thing is, see when we look, think of many verses I've picked from Job alone out of this. You know the old, you know the old, old boy that lost everything and sat in dust and ashes? People think, ah, oh, it's just an old book from antiquity. I mean, maybe you not get a lot out of it. I only go to Job when I feel depressed. I only go to Job whenever I'm looking for some solace of someone knows how I feel. It's not like that. This is the living word. So much more in it. So Job chapter 38, and we'll just lift two verses. Go to verse 19. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? That thou shouldest take it to the bound thereof, that thou shouldest know the paths to the house thereof. Let me just put this in plain, simple language. Where does light dwell that is dead static? That we may go get some. That's the idea of it. And it's the Lord has said to Job, Job, do you know where light comes from? Do you know the source of light? Can you go and find some for yourself? If it stays still, where does it come from? Where does it go to? And actually, when you read this in the, in the original Hebrew, light and darkness become personified here. It's as if they're two people he's talking about. So here they are. Where does he go to and stay? Where does, where does Ken Davidson live? Well, he lives down there and he lives in that house. And you and every one of you could say the same. That's where you dwell and that's where you stay. And the idea here is the Lord saying, where does light stay, Job? Where does it come from? But where does it live? Where does it stay? And, and, and if it's here, when does it go home and just come back again? Is it static? Is it just one entity? And then he says, no. Light doesn't go to a house. It moves. It moves. So what he's saying is, light travels Darkness travels. And only God alone can find out and do these things. Listen, the speed of light, how fast is it? Man is 
uh, now the technology to measure it. The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Let me say it again. 186,000 miles per second. When the light, we know the light of the moon reflects the light of the sun to us, but by the time that reflective light comes from the moon to your eye at night, do you know how long that takes at the speed of light? One second. That left the moon one second ago. Let me give you an example. Okay. From now. Okay, in that, pa- in that little pause, the moon, the reflective light of the moon has come from the moon to us, from us to the moon, from the moon to us, from us to the moon. That's the distance it travelled in that little pause I gave. I measured four seconds on the clock. Isn't that tremendous? Here's something else. Light travels from the sun to your eyes. It takes eight minutes from the sun. Eight minutes. And I'm told that from the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, it takes 4.3 years. How far away is that? Not counting our sun. The nearest star. They say it's 4.3 light years. Do you know you can slow light down a little? If you put it through a precious gemstone, it's said to slow it very, very, very slightly. I have it here in uh, miles per hour. I don't have it in miles per second. Unfortunately, I forgot to convert it before it came out. But sure, maybe somebody here can convert it and then let us know later, okay? If you put it through a gemstone... It slows the speed down to 277,000 miles per hour. 277,000 miles per hour now, not a second, per hour. So here's a thought for you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord says this. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serves him. Notice that. He says, They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels. See the word make up here? It means when I fashion, when I accomplish and perform that which I need to in them. So God is accomplishing something in you. He's performing something in you. And he's fashioning you. And in the right time, on on the right time, in the right day, he says, I make you up. And I'm going to make a beautiful garden crown for me out of you. To those who are serving me. This is again can stretch back to the resurrection. A better resurrection. The word jewels here means possession, property, peculiar treasure. Here's a wee Bible study for you. Write these down and go and read, read them when you get home. And think about this. Exodus 19 verse 5. If you want to read it and jot it down. Exodus 19 verse 5. 
Psalm 135 and verse 4. Uh, there are others, but there's two main ones in the scripture. Go and read about how the Lord causes people peculiar treasure. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we're told that you're a, also a, a peculiar people, a, a treasure of God. Go and read it when you go home and and look at it. You see, the breastplate of the high priest in Israel had 12 precious stones on it representing and scrolled and it was the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And when he went into the holy place and he put the blood on the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord's glory came down, when that glory light came, the reflective light, not the immediate light for it would consume him, but the reflective light through the cherubim wings would have came and hit the breastplate of judgment in which these stones, these gemstones were on. Do you know what Donna went right through the gemstones and it's said to have sparkled out and shone forth colors like a rainbow right around them. That light would have slowed down slightly as the gemstone would have been searched by God. Here's a wee thought I got when I was writing this today. As we are God's treasure, possession, as we are God's jewel, the light of his presence is the purity of his presence, the omniscience of his mind, and his righteous justice and judgment throughout us to search every one of us. I wonder how precious, or rather, how pure a jewel we are becoming as he fashions us and makes us to be Christians after uh, the very image of his own son. I wonder what light we shine forth and what color of God's glory do we display? Do you display and do I? It's just a thought of God when I was reading this, writing this today. And I wonder how much as it were, and I speak reverently because God can never be slowed down. He's sovereign in his will and in all his wells. But in our own human thinking in terms, I wonder, how, I wonder how much we slow the light down from what the light wants to show through us because of our own stubbornness or our wills. Or five to do. Tell you what, we'll stop there. We'll do for another one. Another five. You see those proofs, but the Bible has it all there. All we need to do is read it. Here's what the Bible says, and we'll do it the next time. The Bible even tells us that air, the air you breathe, the air we walk through, has weight. You can weigh it. The Bible says, you, and Santa's going, no, you can't. Now they found you can. The Bible told us that 3,000 years ago. More, 4,000 years ago. 
The Bible says it. It tells us that the wind blows in cycles, circles. They're only finding it out. Everyone thought that the wind came from different directions and straight lines, like train lines, planes across the sky. The Bible tells us, and we've only found this out in the last 50, 60 years, that there are mountains under the sea and deep ravines and valleys. The Bible tells us that. The Bible also tells us that the ocean has water springs in it. Actual water springs under the sea. And they've found these out only in recent years too. From the late 60s, early 70s, they found the first one that the Bible said 4,000 years ago. In fact, in the days of Noah, the fountains of the deep broke up. But it's mentioned in scripture about these fountains and streams under the water. Then the Bible tells us about infection. Medically, how do we stem it? When medical professionals are running around seeing people die of infection, Florence Nightingale and all those times of the war, they're dying and she realized these people are dying from infection because they're catching it. How do we do it? Talks about hygiene and cleaning. This is what they do. Fresh running water. Don't use the old bucket you're using or the basin. But use fresh. The Bible tells us all this. The Bible says if you take a blood sample, you'll find out what's wrong with you. And men used to bleed the blood out of people. Just as, <laughs> I'm going to bleed the badness out of you, you know. And people died. The Bible says, no, no, no. Life is in the blood. Well, look at it. Well, look at it. There's the first five, and those are the other five. Just give you a wee snippet of them. But we'll look at it, and we'll show you the scriptures from what the Bible says about hygiene and medicine as well. Okay? Lord bless you. Our yours, we study for us tonight, and God bless.